this is Sid. And Elijah Laz for short. Of Run That Back. With an analysis of film, music, and all other forms of media from an enthusiast point of view. We hope you enjoy. We hope you enjoy. All right. Hell yeah. Hello, all, and welcome to another episode of your favorite podcast, the Run That Bat podcast. And it is officially February, so we are back giving you all um, Black content for Black History Month. Um, And we are going to actually be reviewing a film that we reviewed a long time ago at the very beginning of our podcast, but it was a hot mess. So we're going to, you know, try Mm -hmm. to give this movie justice uh, the second time around because it is a very good movie. And we just felt like, because we didn't do it justice that first time around, we definitely want to give it. Try again. We can run it back. Yeah, we want to run it back for <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, and so this is um, "Sorry to Bother You," which is a 2018 release by director and writer Boots Riley, um, and the starring Lakeith Stanfield, Tessa Thompson, Jeremy Fowler or Jermaine Fowler, excuse me, Omari Hardwick, Terry Crews, uh, Danny Glover, and Stephen Stephen Yen and Army hammer um mm. if you want to give us a synopsis and then we'll get into the film in an alternate reality of present-day oakland california telemarketer cassius green finds himself in a macabre universe after he discovers a magical key that leads to material glory as green's career begins to take off his friends and co-workers organize a protest against corporate oppression Cassius soon falls under the spell of Steve Lift, a cocaine-snorting CEO who offers him a salary beyond his wildest dreams. Yes, yes, yes. Um, this movie is wild. If you have not seen this movie, a ride. I think that's the only way I can describe it is wild. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those movies that definitely went under the radar. I feel like in 2018, but like is a really mm-hmm. good movie. Like definitely should have got more attention. Probably should have won like some prestigious awards, but you know, just kind of um, floated under the yeah. radar. Um, Boots Riley is a, he, this is the first time um, directorial debut. So, you know, um, this is his first feature length film, but he is a creative. He has done a lot of music. Um, actually, he's like a, he's like in a music group, um, has an album that's actually of the same name, Sorry to Bother You, um, and then also has a book that is also based off of the film. So oh. he uh, is definitely like in the creative realm, but this is his first um, full feature length film and it's a great film. So like Sid had mentioned, it basically follows this character named Cassius Green and his Capitalism. Yeah, his 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 rise into capitalism, his rise mm-hmm. in the corporate space. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we just see like his journey from a literal nobody, like broke joke nigga with nothing <laughs> to mm-hmm. um a man in who, a garage. Yeah, in a garage. Like like literally when you think of a busted nigga, <laughs> cash is he is, yes. Um, and he got the look too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lakeith is definitely he he plays He's the rough. the role well. Although I do mm-hmm. think I actually am kind of into the scruffy look on him. Oh I no, think. I am too. I yeah. think <laughs> I think he's yeah, good looking guy. Um, but mainly because I kind of feel like I look like that too. <laughs> you think you look scruffy? Oh yes, for sure. Really? Uh, not not as scruffy as him in the film. No, maybe like suburban scruffy. scruffy. That's so scruffy. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'll take it. But I, I feel like yeah, I, I feel like I do look scruffy for the most part. Like I don't think I look that well kept. Um, That's crazy. I would never say that about you. Oh well, I take that as a compliment. Yes. yes. <laughs> um. But yeah, so he is basically just trying to become a success story. Um. And he's very much a character who is going to try to get it by any means necessary um which is kind of like this character's flaw like he's a he's a um a go-getter but a go-getter in the sense that he will suspend his morality suspend his ethics to get what he wants and that's yeah that's what i'm gonna say i said a man ain't got no morals yeah that's basically what the film is you know about you know seeing this Mm -hmm. character um stop at nothing to get the success that he thinks that he wants and all of the weird interworkings that play out as he is doing such so this is kind of like another one of those casual dystopian films that we've talked about um it's not super sci-fi but there's a lot Mm -hmm. of sci-fi shit going on a lot of dystopian shit going on Mm -hmm. um that that dose of realism too because it is commentary about capitalism Mm -hmm. and how those are how how people are once they do achieve power so it's like that weird but we also feel like we're in a dystopian state right now so I'm like it's the weird like this is real this isn't this is very absurd and extreme Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm it happens every day type thing it's really weird it puts you in a weird place and as we said it gets wild with its sci-fi elements um and the horseman i will never let that go that's traumatic (laughs) um so yeah um yeah so cassius ends up getting a job for this telemarketing company called um regal view and so regal view is his Regal View has this program that they call the power caller the power caller is essentially someone who is like the all-time best employee and so they get all the perks all the bonuses and so like this is like the thing that they try to sell all their top telemarketers on is becoming this power caller but everyone who has worked there and works there is like yeah no one actually ever achieves that like it's just something that they do or they say to try to you know butter the employees up but no one incentivize you working hard yeah no one ever actually achieves it but in this film we see Cassius actually achieving power caller status however it comes with a price and he's very much being used um, when he does become the power caller. So like we mentioned, this is a, um, a, a movie that kind of critiques capitalism. And so there are a lot of- I was going to say it also talks about how illusionary it is because in mm-hmm. order for him to even get high rankings, he uses his white voice. And so specific uh, type of person. And it's really interesting because I think there are a lot of, I don't want to like- count but there's like a very specific type of black person Mm -hmm. and I think it's always interesting when black people enter the conversation of capitalism because Mm -hmm. as we said we have a lot of black people that you realize oh you ain't got no morals either you're trying Mm -hmm. to be just like the white man Mm -hmm. and then some people like that are so black they can't exist in these spaces so it's really interesting to see in what ways um you can form or in what ways you buy into you know white acceptance mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so when Cassius does finally get the power caller status it comes after the regal view employees try to rebel against regal view and in order to get a union so very much the great resignation like what we're going through right now you know workers' right. rights and all that kind of stuff so they try to 
put on a, a, a strike, a protest. And yeah, because it excludes so many different people. And they're like, mm, yeah, nah. yes, yes, yes. Um, and so whilst they're having their protest, Cassius is approached by the Regal View of management. And they're like, hey, you know, we want to give you the chance to become the power caller. And, you know, Cassius being this man who is trying to rise to the top and trying to get it by any means necessary, he crosses the picket, what do they call it? The picket line, the picket fence. Um, when people are protesting, he crosses the picket line. I think it's picket line and mm -hmm. goes ahead and takes the promotion, um, mm -hmm. kind of turning his back on his other employees who are- class. Yeah, who are trying mm -hmm. to get what they deserve as working class people. And so going forward, we start to see Cassius change. He mm -hmm. loses kind of a sense of self um, yeah. with the white voice, as we mentioned. You know, he meets um, Danny Glover's character, Langston, who kind of tells him about how to use the white voice to get ahead. And so um, that's a tip that Cassius takes when he becomes the power, the power caller and he starts to use that white voice, you know, um, because when you are moving up in a corporate structure, there is a certain level of code switching and a certain level of just like the way you have to maneuver in the space to make people in that space feel comfortable. Um, now, there are some people who say fuck that and they go ahead and they don't subscribe to yeah. that and I think that is commendable as well because I think that is possible um uh -huh. but Cassius does not do that Cassius very right. much plays into the um code switching of it all and the white yeah he's sold he he yeah. I think he he likes it I think yeah. he admires it mm -hmm. um so I definitely had questions yeah. about the white voice um if you do use it if you believe that it's um valid in your journey to advancement <laughs> um you know have you adopted it do you feel you said it's it's viable you can you commend people that just use their regular voice why is that because i think if you don't you you're not you're not you're being you you're being authentic to yourself um mm -hmm. and you're like fuck having to co-switch fuck all that like i'm gonna be who mm -hmm. i am and you take it or leave it and i think that's a commendable thing to 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 do in a corporate space because it disrupts that corporate space um right. i personally I think I probably do it, but I also don't think that, I think I kind of straddle the fence on how I sound in general. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I think when people hear me, they kind of, they think I sound quote unquote proper. And then I have some people who like, they don't get like, so I, it just depends. Like I've gotten both. I'm yeah. Like, some people are like, wow. You, I feel like, like your tone you? to me, like your tone is very black. But like you said, I think you just like, to me, you just speak like straight stem. Like if you yeah. can speak times new Roman, that's what you speak. <laughs> Like just very standard, mm -hmm. but I can hear like the blackness, like yeah, in yeah. it, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, and definitely um, when I'm in certain spaces in certain situations, like I, I it gets more, it gets blacker. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, I think I use ten voices when I speak anyway. Like mm -hmm. depending on what I'm talking yeah. about, like I do a lot with my voice, but I do find that like if I'm trying to like speak white or I'm in a white space, I usually like speak softer because I feel mm -hmm. like my voice is so rough. <laughs> like it, it, especially when I'm passionate about stuff, it'd be sounding crazy and like 
people are more um, open to um, like a softer, more feminine voice, especially because I do look so feminine. So mm-hmm. like when I work in customer service, I would make sure I put on a very cute, cheery voice. But I'm yeah. like, oh my God. But actually funny enough recently, and it wasn't even an attempt to decolonize or not to code <laughs> switch, but like I just would like get in spaces where I just forgot where I was. And then my normal voice came out and then it would look crazy me switching back. And so mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know if I should code switch because I would slip up so much. I'm right. like, I kind of look crazy like trying to like reel it back and be like <laughs> excuse me like you right, know I'm white chicks. right right <laughs> <laughs> like I sounded kind of crazy doing that so I'm just like whatever I'm gonna talk how I want to talk but funny enough I did want to bring up an experience I had in college where mm-hmm. I I don't know what I was to other people but how I viewed myself is that I was I mean I came from the suburbs from a lot of people too that were in my program but I felt like I was more hmm how should I say this <laughs> cultured yes let's just say I'm a dark-skinned black woman with curves okay Mm -hmm. that already comes with a much and I think I I admit that Mm -hmm. you know in Mm -hmm. faces um the stereotypes that come with that and sometimes I would hate being funny because I was like I felt like Leslie Jones yeah I felt like Tiffany Haddish and Mm -hmm. I was like I'm not trying to be that girl but it's just coming out of me so I had weird experiences where when I did like talk how I'm most comfortable mm-hmm. white people would try to reflect my speech and they would start using mm-hmm. slang and I was like I don't like these microaggressions so then <laughs> I would talk white because I'm like you're not about to mock me and or like try to be me like that was the weirdest yeah, thing yeah. I could not stand that like when people were that's around the time when people were still saying like hey Felicia type thing mm. Mm, absolutely not yeah. so I said, excuse me <laughs> mm-hmm. no I don't I don't speak that way <laughs> I had to cut that because I was like Mm-mm. so it was really interesting to think about in the context of this film mm-hmm. how that helped him in advancement and that more so this was commentary about how you know the whites come to you and and want you to be in their culture and not really like I don't know I think definitely in the sense it did show that like oh he's the only black guy he's so cool like Mm -hmm. off rip just because he's black like I feel like they did go into that too but I don't think they really um talked about the negatives that come with being black in the capitalistic space I think Mm -hmm. it was all about like oh you conform and then we forget your color which I'm like Right. I don't believe in that but I do believe like I said that there are black people that choose to conform mm-hmm. and are just like their white counterparts yeah definitely for sure uh just some broad themes that I think that this film talks about uh mm-hmm. in general I think like selling out um bad faith like doing things in bad faith um ethicalness versus non-ethicalness morality exploitation um and then the effects of the psychological effects of um capitalism as this is like an anti-capitalist film i think the psychological effects um that they show in this film mainly in cash's are very interesting so those are just some themes that I themes that I picked up watching this film and then also this film features a lot a lot a lot of symbolism as well yes Um, that's what I was gonna say and specifically predetermination like even in the naming of people like mm -hmm. Cassius Green Mm -hmm. Detroit which I thought was more so like a callback to like how Detroit I think is famously a black city but Mm -hmm. it's also like deteriorating and the fact Mm -hmm. that Cassius leaves Detroit and like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of leaves that blackness and leaves behind the problems that are there and that often black people are tied to like, oh, we got to help 
uh, Detroit. We got to help our like hometown represent, yep. you know, and people often on their rise to capitalism, like, oh, I'm going to get back to my high school. I'm mm-hmm. going to get back to the kids. And then it don't happen, you yeah. know? So yeah. So there's definitely a lot of uh, symbolism there with the names and as well as the other themes you spoke to, I agree with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and even Omari Hardwick's character doesn't have a name at all. Um, right. He plays this character who um, is also Black and in the uh, power caller space. So he's in the corporate space. And so he's kind of lost all sense of himself because he's um, mm-hmm. completely immersed now. And so he yeah. doesn't, there's no, there's no identity to him. So when Cassius does become the power caller, you know, he starts to become successful. So, you know, he gets his new place. He gets a new car. He starts getting invited to these parties, lavish parties. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Orgies. We, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and then we get to see the interactions that he has with the worry-free CEO played by Army Hammer. Um, and his mm-hmm. name is Steve lift um you know it's very much giving steve jobs very much giving elon musk type name um, right. that's the character that he's supposed to be you know he's supposed to be like this really like frat boy like really cool yeah. ceo that doesn't see you as like an employee he wants us all he wants everybody to be his friend he wants to be seen as like yeah. the cool boss yeah as a max in the back and look at this cool tech stuff yeah yeah very much as a means to um distract from the fact that he's actually exploiting you still as the ceo right but you don't see him Mm -hmm. as that because he's really cool he's relatable but at the end of the day he's still he's still cashing in on your labor Um, um weirdly enough you know i don't army hammer the character who plays stephen left he's kind of MIA right now from the cannibal yeah because of some very (laughs) weird uh fetishes that he you know allegedly is into um, right that are they'll range from you know very dominant sex play to cannibalism allegedly right Um, and so his character I feel like he plays this character very well because I feel like he might low-key it represents yeah Yeah, it represents (laughs) part of him um but nonetheless, so he is the CEO um, of Worry Free. And basically, he sees something in Cassius. Um, and what he sees in Cassius is the ability to manipulate him. Yeah. Right. The ability, <laughs> a punk, a, a, a easily manipulated person. And he even says that he says, I see something in you um, that lets me know that I can trust you. You know, I feel mm-hmm. like I can get away with things um, with you that I can't necessarily get away with those other um employees that were you know protesting he showed um the ceo that he you know fuck them like i'm trying yeah. to come in it for me i'm in it for me and so i'm going mm-hmm. to step over these people um, yeah kind of like how we spoke we've spoken to before about the um individualism over the collective yes. mm-hmm. and capitalism and, obviously thrives on individualism and so um, as we find out, Worry Free is actually a company that sells slave labor. Um, and mm. so once once he transfer, transfers from Regal View over to Worry Free, he finds out that they are they are trying to create this new humanoid species called an Equisapien, which is basically um, a workhorse. Um, yeah. And when you work for Worry Free, it's like an all encompassing 
type job. So they pay for, you know, a place for you to sleep, but pay for, they pay for your food, they pay for everything, mm-hmm. right? And you just have to basically give over your soul, yourself to work for this company. But in return, you don't have to worry about anything. You get to be worry-free. And so they recruit Cassius to be like the leader of this, this group um, at Worry Free, this group of Equisapiens, this group of workhorses. Um, and so when Cassius finds that out, he initially is like, he's like, wait, what? Like, I don't, like he has a moment where he's like, I don't know if I want to do this. But then he, re- he remembers like, but if I do do this, um, I get, you know, I get all these benefits, I get all these perks. Um, so for a, for a moment, he kind of plays along with it. But then when he finds out about the horses, he, the horse people, then shit becomes too, too weird for him. He's like, wait, mm. I don't, I, I don't want to be acquainted. You don't really know what's behind them curtains. Yeah, exactly. Then like, people just like, what's that name? Epstein? Mm-hmm, All that mm-hmm. stuff. You don't really know. He runs into the horse people. He's like, oh, whoa. This is right. More than I bargained for. Um, but it wasn't more than he bargained for before he knew like all the inner working. So like as he, when he was right. a sheep, he was okay with it. He was fine. Like, okay, I'm, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know the full truth of it all. Mm-hmm. I can I can do this and he was able to rationalize uh, yeah so it's interesting so like how is something too far when so all this other stuff is just a, a smaller dose of a bigger word essentially yeah. a bigger mm-hmm. act a bigger transgression yeah and that's where that that working in bad bad faith and doing things in bad faith when you can rationalize like doing mm-hmm. things that are questionable but you're like but yeah, there's a there's a greater good that's coming out of it for right. me individually, yeah. at least. Uh, that's like, oh, sorry, that's like a job that I um, quit. Um, <laughs> but it was it was really interesting because I felt that they were it. I don't know. It was just weird because I felt like, first of all, they like revered Jeff Bezos. And I already thought that was weird mm-hmm, because I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't think anything about him as positive and right. then therefore revere him and put this symbolism around in the workspace shows me where your head is at and mm-hmm. I felt as though like you're saying on those smaller scales those small things that really show you whether or not you're really willing to compromise your morals like I was working with food and I was like the only person that felt was really clean I was the only mm-hmm. person wearing a mask mm-hmm. which like vaccinated or not when you're working with food we should definitely be wearing masks right, right. now while we're yeah, working with food. absolutely and um in you know people just weren't doing certain things that I didn't think yep. were um correct code mm-hmm. and so it was just weird because I'm like I'm the only person that cares about this and like you said I could very well be like well I'm not eating this stuff it's not mm-hmm. for me but I just knew like okay I'm giving that to other people and this is I'm supposed to work I'm supposed to believe you know my in my product or whatever you want to say and I'm just like yeah y'all don't even care enough this is really weird like I have to go and I know it's not that serious for a lot of people but it was that serious to me because it just was like it was just sick to me and I was like this is just really weird there's no regard for other people and Mm -hmm. like you're trying to run a business and then you let me not say too much but I just felt like they shouldn't be running a business you know what I mean (laughs) no absolutely absolutely it was just a lot where I was just like, you know, this isn't for me. And it was interesting too, because so much commentary about this film was about like the end, the never ending cycle of capitalism. Mm-hmm. And like, even though I could say no, then I am going to eventually have, you know, other jobs. Mm-hmm. And then it's 
like how do you still in a sense feel like you're giving a part of yourself away or like your morals and ethics are intact which is important to me to work for a company like that but it's like nearly impossible (laughs) to find so it's like how do you escape capitalism especially when you're of the working class like it's just really and that's that's the whole thing higher up people aren't even doing stuff right Mm -hmm. so it's like where do i fit in Mm -hmm. yeah and that's why the goal is always entrepreneurship and to work for yourself (laughs) because there is no in my mind there is there is no moral comp there isn't there is none no you know and i've I face those same problems where I'm like, this is, I'm, I now feel like I'm working in bad faith or I'm doing something in bad faith. And I'm like, mm-hmm. more on that, I can't rationalize this. And so because I can't rationalize it for my own, like I just have to step away now. Like I have to go yeah. because I'm not going to be doing shit that is, that I, that I'm going home and still taking home with me. And I can't, I, I'm thinking about, I'm ruminating on like, I, no, exactly. it's not going to work for me um and for some people I for most people I think they are able to disregard they're able to throw it out and just keep on moving um and if that's how you are like cool that's that's awesome but yeah like I'm not even trying to like teach people how to be woke or like live life like if you don't want that you don't want that that's Mm -hmm. fine but like I know for me it's just like it's a really tough tough battle so actually that's a that's a good point to bring to Detroit Tessa Thompson's character um because I feel like her role in the film is kind of glossed over mm. a lot of times, like when mm. I've been like reading and when I've been watching different things about people's analysis, because a lot of people, once it gets to the end with the horse people, a lot of people check out. And so there's a lot like, <laughs> what happened at the end? Um, so I was reading all this stuff and it very rarely mentions Detroit, that character. Mm. And it's interesting to me because she does represent the person that's trying to, you know, live in another way. She, she, she signs spins and she's an artist. And so mm-hmm. that more so speaks to the gig economy, the side hustlers, yeah. you know, and everything like the that. struggling artists. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and it doesn't necessarily show her in the best light. She kind of looks like loopy, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And like, like she's not, she doesn't have her wits about her, which is mm-hmm. what they like to say when you're not buying into these systems or when yeah. you see problems with it, people are like, well, you're wrong and you're yeah. crazy. Yeah. And it's like, well, y'all are crazy. So it's like, <laughs> to see her placement because I believe her art show happens like is it at the party that Cash just goes to or it like jumps this it jumps it's a different scene yeah okay Mm -hmm. I was like I'm pretty sure it wasn't there so yeah it's just um so yeah it's just really interesting because like her art scene her exhibit happens like right before he like goes to the um to the party like the exclusive party Mm -hmm. but I still think there are like problems with her character as well like she's not going the same route as him but I think she still buys into that white acceptance and capitalism in a sense especially because like the thing that always like um stands out to me is her British accent when she like that's the weirdest Mm -hmm. part to me but I don't know if she just like forgot her accent because she does like reference in the beginning when he's asking like oh what's your name and she's like oh Detroit my my parents wanted a really American name so I'm like mm-hmm. are you supposed to be foreign and we just didn't get the the accent the whole movie or what yeah. but I don't know I just thought that tidbit was interesting but anyway so like I, at the exhibit this kind of like haughty upper echelon type of voice and mm-hmm. airs that she puts on but I was like that's still emulating whiteness and being there being more power 
you know, behind the voice that you use and like what it represents. So I'm like, it's still weird. And like I said, that's why I feel like capitalism is a never ending cycle. Cause like, mm-hmm. even if you don't go the like, oh, I'm working for somebody that pays somebody in Guatemala 50 cents, right. like <laughs> you're still doing the same yeah, thing. Absolutely. I think her role is very interesting in this film. Yeah, I, I think you bring up a good point. I think that that is what they were going for when they, um, she is doing her little performance and she's using that mm-hmm. accent. I think it's supposed to allude to the fact that even as an artist, she still mm-hmm. is, there's a level of performance still going on because she still has to play into that system a little bit, you know? And um, I think right now, with a lot of these Hollywood movies that are trying to be meta and trying to call themselves out. Like we did Malcolm and Marie and Mm. they, they try to kind of poke at this whole, you know, the artist who is trying to be woke, who is trying to, Yeah, but then it was the Spider-Man meme. Cause that was, you know, so there's, there's always a level of, you're part of the problem too. <laughs> Even right, right, right. You're included. Like, yeah. So um, I think that that's, that's what that, that British accent that comes out of nowhere when she's doing that performance is, is kind of stimulus, is kind of alluding to is that like, even mm-hmm. though she, when she's not, you know, in the space, she's still, a level of her still has to buy into it. Um, and again, yeah. that goes to that never ending cycle of capitalism. As well as- as well as colonization, because then mm-hmm. I was thinking, like, what is decolonized art? Which I, I hate mm-hmm. to use, <laughs> but yeah. like, genuinely, in the sense, like we say, there's still blacks that are capitalists, still blacks that are the quote unquote problem mm-hmm. and perpetuating these values and morals of these white conglomerates and everything. So then it's like, what is decolonized art and how do we come to that and then represent that? Because then you could still say like, it, it's just really hard because even like, I just had this conversation the other day, like you can have your audience in mind when you're creating art, but you can't control where your art goes and who mm-hmm. you Mm-hmm. or who resonates mm-hmm. with so then I'm like there can also there can always be the argument like if you're speaking to a very personal black experience that is decolonized whatever yeah. whatever and it's yeah. for black people mm-hmm. there still can be other eyes on it so it can yeah. be like they did this knowing that white people could see it but it was like <laughs> it was never for white yeah. people you know yeah. what I mean so it's just a really interesting thing too I I feel like there are grand efforts to decolonize and to live free of you know whiteness but it's kind of like how do we do that without our own society like our own Mm -hmm. actual community off of this island because I'm just like it's it's really hard to say what the line is like what is black what is not black enough and like if a white eyes happen to see it like do people feel like it perpetuates negative stereotypes like I think a lot of people have a complicated relationship with Spike Lee Mm -hmm. and like okay yes he talks about the truth of blackness but also it's usually these like darker themes or like oh we're living in poverty themes or it's like okay that's embarrassing for other people's eyes but it's like Mm -hmm. but is it for other people's eyes and Mm -hmm. wrapping this up (laughs) I just (laughs) do too because I think a lot of the people in this film um were chosen for their skills and talents yes but I Mm -hmm. thought that the choices were very interesting like because to me Lakeith is also kind of controversial controversial especially in his blackness Mm. like a lot of people see him as more of like that hipster artsy black guy and people question his blackness Mm. Mm -hmm. um of you know certain pro-black things that he may say and Mm. so it was interesting to see him in this role and to see like we're saying like you're you're in a film 
portraying a character that like wrestles with like being accepted but whites but then it's like your your real life kind of reflects that and it's like really interesting Mm -hmm. and then like the relationship an audience member may have if they feel like for example Lakeith ain't black enough or he not black he not for us type thing but for me it made it easier for me to believe in him being like think of somebody like really black like I can't think of like an actor off the top of my head that you find like that can be like really black and then them being in this role you'd be like what did they do to like convince this just in your Mm -hmm. embodiment of who you are as a person even though obviously you're acting Mm -hmm. but like there's like there's the point where you can't suspend your disbelief right Mm -hmm. and so I think it's an interesting choice to have him even Tessa Thompson yeah Terry Crews that Mm -hmm. man is number one example of somebody (laughs) who's like absolutely not Conan yeah he is the coon (laughs) 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 said that so strongly (laughs) listen I got nothing to say (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but like you know what I mean. It's really interesting the specific people that are placed in this film, yeah. and like you're saying, like art talking about itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've... I know. I'm sorry. I <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> that was great. So I was gonna ask. So, are there any moments in the film that are stand out to you? Because I mean, the the whole film, like, there's just so many moments. But do you have um a couple moments or a specific moment that you just you see and you're like, wow, that was that was the scene for me (laughs) honestly for some reason the exclusive party that he goes to and all the things that he sees because Mm. like I just hear that that's what a lot of industry parties are like in reality like you Mm. see things that you never thought your eyes would see and like know how these people really live or just how like truly evil some rich and powerful people are where you're just like where do you even come up with stuff like this Mm -hmm. but that's like what lies behind all this um greed which is honestly the root of all those evil things but um I don't know that was just really like realistic and it was interesting like we said to see what he refuted and then also accepted and kind of tried to like you know tell the line of he he didn't know where he stood so that was just something that was like really interesting to see that play out how about you yeah 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 I think the industry party scene is a very interesting scene um especially with how uh, he kind of, you know, like you said, he toes the fence of feeling comfortable and feeling uncomfortable, trying to fit in, not trying to fit in. You know, he is um, amongst these people who are all white and he's like the singular black person there at the party. Um, and he doesn't want to stick out like a sore thumb, but like you're the only black person at this very elite party, this very prestigious party, like you're going to stick out regardless. And there's a level of stereotyping that the people at the party do, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they think because he's there, he's going to add this level of coolness to the party. And he kind of keeps saying like, I'm, I'm just regular, regular, schmegular. Like, I don't, <laughs> you know? Um, so then we get this this scene where they ask him to rap. He's like, y'all, like, I can't, I don't rap. I don't know how to rap. Like, that's, that's not something I do. Um, and so then we get the um, notorious scene where he, you know, tries to rap, doesn't go too well. And then he's like, okay, let me give these people what they want. He just starts rapping, nigga shit, nigga shit, nigga, nigga, nigga shit over and over again. And it, you and know, it was like, oh yeah. It gets the it gets the people going. It's provocative, right. you know. Um, <laughs> and so I think that speaks to, you know, the level of 
that the stereotyping that happens when you are in 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 these crowds of people who have never really been around too many black people and so they think that yes. you're they think that you are the image that they consume on television or or whatever fucked up stereotype that they have in their mind right and you're like right. oh you might fit some of those stereotypes but then there are something you're like no I'm actually a very complex person and I don't do all these things that you think that I'm right. supposed to do um yeah. so yeah I think that that scene is very interesting um but I also think that the scene where when Cassius is with his friend Salvador and they first go out they go to this um bar and there's like this there's there's a lot of the symbolism of like what the other half has like how the other half lives so you know we have the the power caller and we have like this golden door um, or this golden elevator and that leads to where the power caller's office is but then they go to this bar and there's also like this VIP section and this is early on in the film so Cassius is still trying to um, get to the other side he's still trying to achieve um, greatness and so he goes to this place this bar with his friend and he's like what's behind that door and his friend's like oh that's the VIP section and he's like what is an established like this establishment like this doing with a VIP section he's like I don't know like it, everybody every, anyone can get in he tells them the password and he's like yeah that's like the password anytime so like anybody can go in there and so Cassius is like okay fuck it I'm going to the VIP section and so he goes and it's just really cramped space like people are bumping into him he's spilling his drink all over him and he comes back out and his friend's like oh how was it in there and he was like Oh yeah, it was cool. It was dope. And so he lies about um, what it was like being in this VIP section. And I think that speaks to a lot of people thinking that once they get to like a certain spot or a certain place in life and they they get the goodness, like it's going to be just like up and then it's up and then they get right. over there. And, yeah. <laughs> and, they're like, and it, I feel is... like a lot of people like they're, they're filling that void because a lot of people that don't have money, they like, oh, I wonder what it feels like to mm-hmm. be rich. Mm-hmm. for people to know my name and you get there and it still yeah. don't feel that void and people right. be sure, like mm-hmm. and it's very lackluster so yeah I think that 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 that's that scene in particular kind of sets us up for the rest of the film um because that's like the first scene that we see Cassius um is definitely someone who just wants to it's just aspiring to have what other people have that he does not have because he doesn't have much. Um, and I think that that's like a theme that you see a lot with people who don't have much um, growing up or coming up. They just always want more. They always want more. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but you have to be careful with, I think you just have to be careful with that, right? You have to, you have to be grounded in yourself and you have to know that like the material it's only going to get you so far. Like, you know, you, you want all these things, but at the end of the day, like, don't sell yourself out. Don't, don't lose sight of who you are. Don't think that on the other side is just, you know, rainbows and unicorns because over there, there are issues too. And there's a lot of stuff that people are doing that is fucked up. You know, you gotta, you just gotta be careful. Yeah, I think those are really such like valid points. And as we said, it's like about the ascent, the rise, the capital, like mm-hmm. we said, so that like the scene that you spoke to really talks about like um, the the 
labels and the emphasis on the material mm-hmm. that you place on your way up and how that affects mm-hmm. you and how you lie and still compromise on the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also did want to talk to you in the response to the scene that I said, you said that um, how much he was the only black person at this mm-hmm. industry mm-hmm. Um, event. And I just thought, or sorry, corporate event. <laughs> and I just, I pointed that out too in my notes because I was like, a lot of times when we do have these black capitals, capitalists they're either the quote-unquote leader or like the only one so do Mm -hmm. you believe that being the only black person in a room do you believe that that is the key to advancement for black people and um is that how we get more inclusivity by first do you think that being the first black in the room leads to more blacks and then therefore creating inclusivity okay so honestly no I do not (laughs) Um, I think the, like, I understand that notion, like, I understand people thinking that that works, but, like, that's, like, always been, that's, that's always been the talking point, that's always been what people say, and, like, here we are still struggling, still, you know, being the first, still trying to integrate, and so there's, there's clearly something that's not working right um and for me personally I think probably I think that that the best that black people have ever done is when segregation existed right because we we didn't have a choice right there was there was no choice but for niggas to um to be great like you you yeah and to have community absolutely um and so I like I understand the thought of like we have to integrate into these these spaces and all that stuff but like for me it makes no sense to integrate into a space that was not created for you in the first place that didn't include you in the first place that didn't have you in mind in the first place like you can't you can't try to reform that like if you are and if you think you're going to reform it honey you they will ruin you before they allow you to do that um and so no I don't think that that's but if if that's if you believe that's the way to go I'm not gonna stop you good luck um but I I ultimately think that the the best thing to do is to create your own space right and now I do understand that sometimes you have to be in another space first before you have capital to create your own space right so in that sense I understand like okay I'm but, working towards something else grander, but you can't lose sight of that because once you lose sight right. of that, now you're now you're just caught up in the rapture, honey, Anita Baker. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree because when you said that there's something not working, there's something that gets lost and like, you know, um, pushing to be that first person, sometimes you have to, you have to look at your heart and be honest, like, mm-hmm. am I actually going to bring up the other Blacks or is this enough yeah. to feed my ego where mm-hmm. I just want to stay here and it wants to be exclusive? And mm-hmm. I think that's what happens um, when you can be in the first, and this is like with gender, this is with race or anything. Yes, absolutely. Sometimes it's like that power and that acceptance is more powerful than thinking about the other people that you need to include or are looking to include. So I think it's like human nature a lot of times really where it just goes wrong where people like can't fight it is it's me or nobody type Mm -hmm, thing and mm -hmm. like that's where so many people fall because like the majority of people are going to choose themselves over the collective and so it just gets kind of sticky where it's like okay well then what's the point of infiltrating these spaces so yeah I I absolutely agree but you knew that though yeah segregation or yeah it was low-key hitting I wasn't Mm. there but I was yeah 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 (laughs) um you know I think the whole 
the equal part was the part that we were missing you know I don't I don't necessarily think that the separate was bad I think right. I know I, I do think that it that that then does harbor ignorance with people like people are just when you are not around someone who's like you or not around there is a level of ignorance that that is inherent because you just don't know about other folks um however I think that the the integration of things kind of made us stop fostering community of our own fostering um entrepreneurship and just like it just kept us from fostering the ability to be the the business people and the success stories that we could have been because we were so pressed on being integrated and so you know but here we are (laughs) working with what we got yeah and working with what we got in 2022 but any hoodle so this film is um streaming on what is the streaming on amazon prime i couldn't personally couldn't get it free you could you oh you know what so it it is on it's on prime but it's like through the bet app and so i'm right now i'm using the seven day free trial i gotta cancel oh, okay, seven days. um but if not you can rent it on youtube for probably like 2.99 really good movie it was on hulu for a little bit it'll probably come it'll back Netflix too for a while yeah, yeah yeah it'll probably come back um definitely 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 worth checking out yeah, it's just under two hours, so, you know, not too long of a watch, um, and it's a wild ride from start to finish, so, you know, we definitely recommend you check it out, yeah, and until then, have a good one. Bye. Bye. Follow us on Instagram at Run That Back Podcast. We share our current faves, preview our next episode, and post many episodes about our entertainment interests. While you're at it, leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts.